morning, church. Our scripture reading today is taken from 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14. But it's obvious by now, isn't it, that Christ's church is a complete body and not a gigantic unidimensional part. It's not all apostle, not all prophet, not all miracle worker, not all healer, not all prayer in tongues, not all interpreter of tongues. And yet some of you keep competing for so-called important parts. But now I want to lay out a far better way for you. If I speak with human eloquence and angelic ecstasy but don't love, I'm nothing but the creaking of a rusty gate. If I speak God's word with power, revealing all his mysteries and making everything plain as day, and if I have faith that says to a mountain, jump, and it jumps but I don't love, I'm nothing. If I give everything I own to the poor and even go to the stake to be burned as a martyr, but I don't love, I've gotten nowhere. So no matter what I say, what I believe, and what I do, I'm bankrupt without love. Love never gives up. Love cares more for others than for self. Love doesn't want what it doesn't have. Love doesn't strut, doesn't have a swelled head, doesn't force itself on others, isn't always me first doesn't fly off the handle, doesn't keep score of the sins of others, doesn't revel when others grovel, takes pleasure in the flowering of truth, puts up with anything, trusts God always, always looks for the best, never looks back, but keeps going to the end. We don't yet see things clearly. We're squinting in a fog, peering through a mist, but it won't be long before the weather clears and the sun shines bright. We'll see it all then, see it all as clearly as God sees us, knowing him directly, just as he knows us. But for right now, until that completeness, we have three things to do to lead us toward that consummation. Trust steadily in God, hope unswervingly, love extravagantly, and the best of the three is love. Go after a life of love as if your life depended on it, because it does. Amen. 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 Thank you, Morgan. Well, good morning. I'm Carrie Stevens. It, <laughs> you guys. Um, that was nice. It really is my privilege to be married to the lead pastor here at Mosaic and to be called the pastor's wife or first lady. Or, hey, you, by the people of this church, I have been called all of those things and more by some of you. So thank you for that. Um, Today, we're finishing up a sermon series about what it means to be the people of Mosaic. Over the last few weeks, we have talked about God's call to be generous and his call for us to serve our city. And today, we're talking about the collective impact we can make when we love Before I get started, though, I want to tell you next week we're starting a new sermon series. It is called The Arrival. Advent means the arrival of, and we're going to be talking about Jesus arriving, of course, as we approach Christmas, and something incredible that arrived with him. So you don't want to miss it. Definitely come back next week. But first, today. Today, it's just my deep honor to preach about love because Mosaic is a place where I have been loved and where I have learned to love others better. I'm so grateful to be here every week with you. I first came to this church 18 years ago. I was 10. (laughs) 
10 years old, just a babe. Um, I wasn't. But I was engaged to a guy who was a campus minister here. He's super cute. And uh, he refused to leave Texas. And he refused to leave all of you. And so I had to leave Los Angeles and enter into his world. And we got married. And we started a family. And we loved being in this church. However, there were a few things about this church back then that weren't quite the way they were supposed to be. If you've been through our new members class, then you have heard the whole story, at least as much of it as we know. If you have not been through our new members class, but you would like the dirt, I would encourage you to become a member and we'll tell you everything. But we knew God called us here, even though things weren't quite the way they ought to be. And so we stayed and built lifelong friendships here and loved being here. But then things kind of unraveled because of those things that were out of place. And the unraveling resulted in um, Morgan and I moved to Nashville to work for the corporate office for the campus ministry we were a part of. But even in Nashville, Austin and Mosaic were home in our hearts. And when we were given the opportunity to come back and be a part of God's restoration of this church, we jumped at the chance, and we have never regretted it. We love it here. We love you guys. There have been a few times in the last nine years when we've wondered how God was going to fix something or other or save us or rescue us. There's always things happening. And um, we have seen time and time again God do miraculous things for this church and for us as a people. And I've never doubted, as I've watched God move in our midst, that he really does love us. He loves this church more than a good Austinite loves tacos. It's just true. And if you're taking notes and you'd like to write this down, I encourage you to write down that God loves me more than tacos. (laughs) We believe that here. (laughs) But even though I know God loves me more than tacos, there have been just a couple times, like, I don't know, 284,562 in my life that God has asked me to do things because he loves me that really seemed like maybe he was loving the other people that I was doing them for more than he was loving me because they were hard. Maybe that's never happened to you before. God's never asked you to do hard things for other people that you didn't want to do? No, never. (laughs) And it just sort of sometimes seems like they're too hard because if God really loved me more than tacos, why would he ask me to do hard things? It just doesn't seem fair. And every time that's happened... I've done the obvious. I have really whined about it to God and complained in abundance. And I've told him that it just maybe feels like he loves other people more than me. Maybe he loves the church more than he loves me. And I just am honest with him. Like, it's hard to forgive other people the way you've been forgiven. It's hard to love your enemies. I mean, why do we have to keep doing this, right? And every time, I really have to face the truth. God's love for me is not as me-centered as I would like to believe it is. I mean, I'm rainbows and sunshine to God, of course, like puppies. I'm puppies to God. But his love for me is kind of woven into this greater, bigger love that he has for his church and his people and a whole world full of people who need him. And so sometimes God's love looks a little more like 
insisting I obey the gospel than like warm, fuzzy feelings that I can just snuggle up with. Which brings me to our passage today, 1 Corinthians 13 and the subject of love. What is true biblical love, right? What does it mean? Well, let me set up the passage for you. Right before 1 Corinthians 13, Paul is writing about the church. And he talks about it as being a body of Christ. And he dissects it into all these different parts. And he tells us that even though we all have different gifts and talents, we make up one body of Christ. And he talks about how some are prophets and some are teachers and some work miracles and some people pray and some are administrative or they help in some other way. But we're not to consider any part more important than any other. He says we're one. And that's when Paul makes this astounding claim. Paul promises us he's about to show us a far better way to do church. And that's when he gives us chapter 13's incredible definition of love. I mean, it's astounding and beautiful. Somehow, chapter 13 of 1 Corinthians has become, over the millennia, like the official wedding scripture, right? Like, is any wedding really complete without 1 Corinthians 13? I don't think so. And it's a beautiful way to enter into a a lifelong promise of fidelity. I am not arguing with that. However, it would be easy to forget what Paul was actually writing about in this passage if we only think about it as a wedding scripture, right? Because he's not writing about marriage. He is writing about the church. It is absolutely a passage that is about church. Paul tells us clearly that properly loving each other is the far better way of doing church and being the church. It's a call. Then he makes love look less like this romantic rush of joy and more like all the ways we fail before our first cup of coffee in the morning. Like you read that list in 1 Corinthians 13 and can anybody actually perform this? I don't know. It's hard. Because loving other people requires sacrifice, and it is a lot of hard work. It's a lot of hard work, and it's 100% what we're committed to as the people of Mosaic. If you want to love God and other people but not really sacrifice anything, you won't like it here. I'm just being really honest. We are all so different. We're all so different. Um, There's just always things happening around here that make some of us at some point a little uncomfortable or shocked. Like maybe there's a woman preaching on Sunday. (laughs) We're not from the same places, right? We weren't all raised the same way. We aren't completely familiar with each other's backgrounds and where we've come from. And so it can make it hard. It's hard when you don't know what somebody else really expects in a relationship because their expectations were formed differently in their family and in their culture. It's just hard work to love each other, but totally worth it. Sometimes being a part of this spiritual family reminds me of the first time I spent a whole week with Morgan's extended family in Idaho. I mean, we're all white, but we're not all the same. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, there are layers. Um, 
But in this particular week, we were all crammed into this one tiny house, and we overwhelmed the septic system of the home. And Morgan's marine colonel grandfather came to us, gathered us up, put us in line, and told us, every one of you has two minutes in the RV shower, and that's it. Okay, I'm not a high-maintenance person, although that's a sliding scale. (laughs) I had never taken a two-minute shower in my life. But it was only for a little while. I really love him, and I'd do anything to stay next to him. I was with my best friend, and so I tried to learn this skill of the two-minute shower. I have a Christmas gif here, just for the season, to show you what the shower really looked like. (laughs) It was really complicated and hard for me to learn the two-minute shower skill in the midst of people I did not know, that I was just getting to know. People will do all kinds of uncomfortable things for the sake of love. That's what Paul's writing about here. People will do all kinds of uncomfortable things. He's telling us that we could be a church full of superstars. Like we could have world-class preachers, not today, but other days. We could have world-class apostles, prophets, incredible prayer warriors who are like casting things down and making miracles happen. I mean, mountains in the sea. We could be just the most incredible Christians as individuals. But if the spiritual septic system in this place backs up, If we don't love one another well, we will have a really big mess on our hands. Love is so important. Why? What does love do for us exactly? Well, we're going to look at three of the things love does for us here at Mosaic. In our talk today, we're going to see how love reminds us, how it unites us, and how love lights the way. We're going to start with the reminding Because remembering is really a central theme of Christianity. All throughout the scriptures, we're exhorted and encouraged to remember. Remember who God is. Remember what he's done for you. Remember how he's loved you. Remember who he made you to be. Remember, remember, remember. But even so, for some reason, as human beings, we forget things so easily. We so easily forget that we're loved. There was one night a while ago that uh, one of my children came, not the one sitting over there, came, I I absolve him, um, came to us and said that they really felt like we had not spent the appropriate amount of time saying goodnight one night. This child pointed out that despite our near-perfect parenting record, Mom had gone to bed before everybody else, which is a total mom win. (laughs) And then dad had let everyone stay up really late and hang out. And when it was clear everyone was tired, dad said, it's late. I'll see you tomorrow. (laughs) Which is a total dad win, (laughs) right? Not a win to this particular child. And the consequence of this was that this child came to us and said, 
Even though I know it's not true, I just felt unloved. Aw, so sweet. I wish I had a dollar for every time I have thought this or felt this about my husband, my friends, my everyone, right? Even though I know it's not true, I just feel unloved. Is the song of our soul when life gets hard and complicated, isn't it? Even though I know it's not true, I just feel unloved. Is either a deep dive into our pain or it's an opportunity to remember what is really true. So what is really true? Well, we're God's beloved children. God is very pleased with us, exceedingly abundantly pleased with us. He'll never leave us or forsake us. He is fighting to rescue us and save us and run after us every day that we are alive. His song over us is one of victory and triumph. And in Christ, we possess every heavenly blessing we could ever need to make it. So if that's all true, why do we forget so easily? I think it's because life is more like a two-minute RV shower than we'd like for it to be. I mean, seriously, there's never enough hot water to go around, right? You can't move the way you're used to moving or you need to move in order to get done what you got to get done because you're so constricted by your circumstances. You're terrified someone's going to walk in and humiliate you, and you're so scared you're doing something wrong all the time. So our pain, our discomfort, the pressure, it pushes out what we once knew was true. It presses it out and we forget. We forget that, that God loves us more than tacos. I see the forgetfulness here in church sometimes. Sometimes there are people who've been here for years and they've been apart. They were baptized here. They got married in this church. They have deep lifelong friendships here. And you think everything's great and then they come to you and they say, even though we know it's not true, we hope it's not true, we just feel unloved. And we all have to slow down for a minute, right? And try and figure out what's, what's going on. Where's the disconnect? Sometimes it's because there's been a need that we didn't know about. Sometimes it's because we've let them down, something we promised we would do for them. And we have to apologize and make it right. Sometimes it's because their season of life has changed and they can't connect the way they once did. Or sometimes it's because trauma has hit their life and they don't know how to put it all back together again. Whatever it is, the love got disconnected somewhere and we've got to work together to reconnect it. Because even when we feel unloved, even when we fail one another, even when lament rises up within us, we are still God's beloved children in whom he's well pleased. Mosaic, I'm not standing here today trying to tell you this is a perfect place. It's not. Because we're here. Like all of us. Right? It's not a perfect place. But it's a place where we will fight for love. Where we fight to believe the best about one another and be vulnerable and honest and kind, and all the things that love is. We're in a fight for love here. Because sometimes I forget that I'm loved. And maybe I get sick. And then my friend Lisa shows up at my door, risks her own health to bring me vitamins. Lisa will always bring you vitamins. (laughs) And magic tea. 
that doesn't taste good, but trust her, it works. And you remember that you're loved. I remember that I'm loved. Or sometimes I tell my friends Jolene and Kenny and Kivon and Mike about the book I'm writing, and they promise me they're going to read it. They're probably lying, but I don't care because they're saying it because they love me. Or some Sundays I show up kind of worn out, beat down a little bit, and then one of your precious children knows me and comes to me and says, can I have some candy? Because they know I have candy in my backpack for any child who comes to me and asks me for candy. And I'm not going to ask you for permission. I'm going to give your child candy. And I know you love me because you gave up that post-church nap for me. I have been loved here. I hope you have been loved here. If you haven't, there is love for you here. Reach out and get it. Love compels us to do uncomfortable and sacrificial things. It reminds us who we are and who we're called to be. I know it may not always feel like it's true, but you're valuable, so valuable, priceless even. You are worthy of proper care. There's space for your gifts and talents in this place and in our lives. Mosaic is a far better church because you're here. Once we remember that each of us as an individual is loved by God and that we're all better than tacos, we can remember that God's love didn't just come to save us and didn't just come to claim us as his beloved children, but it came to give us the gift of belonging through unity because love unites us. In an essay for Santa Clara University, Mother Teresa wrote, today, if we have no peace, it is because we've forgotten that we belong to each other. That man, that woman, that child is my brother or my sister. I believe that's true. Love and peace are absolutely bound up in the revelation that all of us belong to God and to each other. A few years ago when our kids were younger, we took them out on a Kai Street run. Kai Street is our ministry to the homeless of Austin. And they do truck runs on Thursday nights. And we joined them for a truck run with our little kids. And it was winter. And it was very, very cold. And by about the third stop, as we were looking for people to give food and blankets and things to, we could not feel our feet. It was so cold. Corey, Pastor Corey and I were there together. Her kids were there too. And so we decided to get the kids moving just to keep them somewhat warm when we got out of the car. Which I don't know how this decomposed into this, but... It ended up with me and Corey and our children standing in a circle in a gas station parking lot doing the hokey pokey, (laughs) obviously. So now I was thinking as we hokey pokeyed that maybe we shouldn't have come. Like maybe it wasn't all that helpful to the Kai Street team for us to put our left foot out and shake it all about underneath the Chevron sign. Doesn't seem like really meeting many needs. Um, nonetheless, our children were not mad at us yet for being cold, so we were happy about that. <laughs> and a couple, a man and a woman, came out from some corner of a building and started talking to Morgan. They got their blankets, they got their food, and then they were telling Morgan that um, they don't usually come out of the woods. They lived in the woods, and they didn't usually come out because when they came out and encountered people in mainstream society, they remembered. They remembered that. They were on the outside. They remembered that they were marginalized and that 
they weren't a part of what we were a part of, what people like, uh, like us, right? And so they're telling Morgan this, and um, then all of a sudden they saw us hokey-pokeying with our kids, and they started to cry. And they weren't sad tears. They said, we never get to see children. Homeless people don't get to be around children very often. And we definitely never get to be around children that happy and joyful. And when they saw us laughing and hokey-pokeying, they remembered something about themselves. They remembered that we all really belong to each other. When Morgan told me the story later, I remembered. I remembered that I belong to people all over this city, strangers I've never met, in all different kinds of situations, from all different kinds of backgrounds. I belong to them, and they belong to me, because we're really one. Love, it tears down those barriers, doesn't it? It reminds us. It reminds us that we're one. Every time I see a homeless person now, I remember that story. I remember that they need belonging and love and hope and joy just like I do. And I found that over the years, I carry a lot of stories with me that have changed my own inner story that I've received from you because you've given me your story. You've let me hold it and encounter it and feel it and know what it's like to be you. We meet people all the time who come here on Sunday and they think that this is a miraculous thing, right? All these different kinds of people sitting together, worshiping God on a Sunday. And it is miraculous, but it's not as miraculous as what's happening when we're not here on Sunday. (laughs) When we're really, really loving one another, really carrying one another, really encountering other people with all of this inside us. Because this is a place where your story and my story, we've, we've let them be stacked up on top of each other. We remember that they're different, but they're all redeemed by the same Jesus. That your victory is my victory. Your joy is my joy. Your deliverance is my deliverance. Your healing is evidence that my healing is coming. And we let the blood of Jesus cover all these stories and make us one. That's the miracle of love. We belong to and with each other. Love reminds us that we need each other because we're one body, right? One body. Somehow, this love that we have is going to help us make it, right? It's going to help us make it to the very end. And what do I mean by the very end? Well, I mean that the love of God, it leads us to a safe, and secure place in a somewhat hazy future because love lights the way. In the passage, Paul tells us that we're all sort of blind. Um, We're headed towards something, we're going somewhere, we're all moving, but we can't really see everything clearly, that we're peering, peering through a fog, looking through a mist. I mean, is there a better description for what it's like to try to find love and hope and joy in today's world than the thought that it's just hazy, right? Like if you go online at all, forget about it. The haze is so thick. 
And then you factor in our own weaknesses, our own fears, our own circumstances, and we are fighting through life mostly blind by ourselves on our own. But the love we have for one another, it's, it's the light we need to find our way. Love lights our way. Paul's advice at the end of 1 Corinthians 13 is still relevant and vital for all of us. Go after a life of love as if your life depended on it, because it does. It does. 18 years ago, when I first came to this church, um, I left behind a life I really loved in Los Angeles. And I left behind, you know, friends, and all my family was there, and the Pacific Ocean, kind of hard to replace, and my most favorite coffee shop. It had a fireplace in it. I loved it. I mourned it. And I had this really cute habit in the car when I would get sad um, during that time where I would lean my seat all the way back and complain. I would talk about how much I missed my old life, how many things I missed in my coffee shop in the ocean and rollerblading and all the things that I couldn't do anymore. And I'll never forget Morgan's driving down 620 as I'm doing this one day for the millionth time. And we are newlyweds and he's driving the car and I'm leaned back, just pitiful. And he was so annoyed. And he looked at me and he said, how much longer are you going to do this? <laughs> and it was like, he said those words and God just flipped a light switch inside my soul. And all of a sudden I could see where I really was. I could see what was really happening inside me. Honestly, it was just like that. And I just saw, I saw that I was looking at my life ahead of me, our future together here in a new city with all new things and new people and all that. Through a haze, there was a mist. I could see my old life really well though, particularly all the good parts of it, (laughs) right? And I realized as long as I keep my eyes focused on that old stuff that I can see better and refuse to at least try to see what's coming up. I was going to miss out on all the good things God had planned for me in Austin. I was going to miss out on my whole life because I was going to be leaned back in a chair crying about all the things I missed. Jesus, he said that the greatest love you'll ever find is the kind that sacrifices itself for a friend. I think sometimes the choice to go after a life of love looks like becoming a more gritty, determined, faithful, wholehearted, courageous friend who trusts that God's goodness and mercy is eventual and guaranteed for all of us. Somewhere in this hard thing is the goodness of God. I say that to myself daily. Going after a life of love could look like this. We're just going to put ourselves into 1 Corinthians 13. We never give up. We care more for others than for ourselves. We don't want what we don't have. We don't strut. We don't have swelled heads or force ourselves on others. We don't shout me first or fly off the handle. We don't keep score of the sins of others or revel when others grovel. We take pleasure in the flowering of truth 
and trust God always. We always look for the best. We never look back, but we keep going to the end. To the very end, we're in this together. At the end of his life, Jesus gathered all of his disciples in a room and he washed their feet. In John 13, it says that he did this because he was loving them to the very end. I love that part of the Bible. After washing them, he fed them bread. And then Jesus made space on purpose for Judas to choose to betray him. And then he told them that he'd be leaving them. And they wouldn't be able to follow him yet. And then he predicted Peter's failure right there while loving them. He didn't tell him not to do it, did he? He just said it's going to happen. And then he explained to them that it was their love that would prove they were his disciples and that he was asking them to follow him because he was the way and the truth and the life. And if they would follow him on the path he was on, they'd find their way to God. Jesus showed us that love is that far better way. He showed us that that love feels like betrayal, but it looks like forgiveness. He showed us that love feels like sacrifice, but it looks like unity. He showed us that love feels like painful obedience to God, but it looks like miraculous resurrection. What a love we have been given in our Jesus. What a love he's given us. You are so loved by the God who created you out of dust and adoration. He loves you. He formed you from the friendship and loyalty that holds the whole world in orbit around his being. Our triune God, three persons in one, could not imagine. He has everything he needs in himself, but he couldn't imagine an eternity without you. So he formed you in your mother's womb. He destined you for one specific thing, love. To be loved, to love others, to love him. That's what God made you for. You're created for it. He's made space for you to fail by sending his son His son took the punishment for your sins, and now he's leading you home. And he's asking you to light the way for other people. Love is the answer. Love is the answer to everything. Imagine for a moment if you took that kind of love, and it was so at the center of yourself that that it was the thing that you thought about tomorrow in every encounter you have, whether it's just an ordinary encounter with a, a child or a coworker or the person at Starbucks? What if that love was what was motivating you in everything you said and did? What if that love was the center of how you treat your family and your friends, how you treat your coworkers? What if that love was the center of everything we did, that it wasn't just here in this place that we remembered that we're loved and we're called to love others, but it's in every moment of our days. We're seeking to love the way Jesus has loved us. What a far better way to live our lives. Going after a life of love. As we go after things we have to go after, right? Like we need to pay our bills and we got to go after degrees if we're going to accomplish certain things in our lives. We've got to go after children who 
need their diapers changed, and you got to go after your roommate who refuses to do the dishes, and right? Like, we're going after stuff all day long. But what if at the center of it all, we're going after a life of love? How different would our city be if everybody in Austin lived like that? That's what we want. And it starts with each one of us as individuals and as the body going after a life of love.